There is a dark spirit at work in the world, seeking to destroy mankind by convincing them to unite in rebellion against God. That spirit, of course, is Satan, but he is not alone. Earth is infested with fallen angels, and when a person is born, he enters a world culture that has been shaped by demonic forces. He inherits traditions and customs of life that have been formed by unclean spirits. The Babylonian system has been handcrafted by Satan himself to meet every desire and every perceived need a human might have. It has all been created to appeal to man's fallen nature, and every bit of it is personally presented and fostered by fallen spirits. All around us, there are demonic beings that are trying to exert their powerful influence upon us. They can build up and exaggerate feelings of discouragement, rejection, lust, jealousy, suspicion, and a host of other debilitating feelings we already struggle with. They can create atmospheres of despair, perversion, deception, or greed that can seem overwhelming. This is Nate with Purity for Life. As we continue our series, Babylon, the Seat of Satan's Power, we'll take a brief look at the demonic realm and how these dark spirits gain dominion over a person's heart. Then, we'll talk about one powerful strategy to effectively fight their evil influence. In episodes one through four of this series, we tried to give you a historical and theological understanding of Babylon, the origins of the physical place, but also the awareness of what it represents, a dark spirit working in the world to unify mankind in rebellion to God's authority. In episodes five and six, we took a big picture look at how the satanic force is tirelessly working to establish a corrupted and self-centered mindset in individuals, but ultimately in the whole world. All of this may seem really theoretical, so very soon we'll begin looking at very specific, very practical ways that the enemy tries to gain access to our hearts and minds so that he can get us into the same mindset he's in. But before we do that, we need to understand more about how the enemy works in the lives of people. In his first epistle, the Apostle John wrote that, we know that the whole world lies in the evil one. Later, when he received divine revelation about the last days, he heard an angel proclaim that Babylon is a dwelling place of demons, a prison of every unclean spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Earth is infested with fallen angels, and when a person is born, he enters a world culture that has been shaped by demonic forces. He inherits traditions and customs of life that have been formed by unclean spirits. The Babylonian system has been handcrafted by Satan himself to meet every desire and every perceived need a human might have. It has all been created to appeal to man's fallen nature, and every bit of it is personally presented and fostered by fallen spirits. As a person grows up, devils seek to nurture pride in him, pushing him to be seen as better, stronger, smarter, and more capable than those around him. And Babylon is quick to reward his every achievement. A man's carnal appetites are encouraged by unclean spirits as they compel him into the realm of sexuality, where Babylon offers him a wide selection of delicious indulgences to participate in and then applauds his prowess when he experiences them. His lust for more and more and more of the world's goods are encouraged and admired as he acquires them. If he desires the security of escaping eternal punishment without giving up his extravagances, 
Babylon offers a wide array of different religions to suit his taste, including a watered-down version of Christianity. Most people live out their entire lifetimes pursuing whatever brings them the most pleasure, imagining that they're in full control of their lives, little realizing that they are being led by the hand toward their destruction by the spirit of Babylon. But there are those who, at some point in their journey, have an encounter with Jesus Christ and set themselves on a new path. They no longer march in lockstep with the world's masses. They find that they have new desires and new aspirations that are taking them in a different direction. Nevertheless, just because a person comes to the Lord does not mean that the enemy's hordes are done with him. They are not. In fact, now that the person has slipped out of their control, they target him like never before. These fallen angels are constantly scheming and conniving as to how to ruin lives by keeping them from God. Fallen spirits do their utmost to lead astray those who do come to the Lord. Scripture makes it pretty clear that these demons have different dispositions and satanic giftings. Consider how they're described in the Bible. In Leviticus 20, we're told about familiar spirits. In Matthew 10, evil spirits. In Luke 4, unclean spirits. In 1 Kings 22, lying spirits. In Matthew 25, angels of Satan. In Hosea 4, spirits of harlotry. In 1 Timothy 4, deceitful spirits. In Revelation 16, spirits that perform signs. In 1 Corinthians 10, spirits that are behind idols. In 1 Timothy 4, spirits that are behind false doctrines. And in Revelation 18, spirits that are behind this world system. In other words, there seems to be a spirit with the disposition of every kind of carnal desire and sinful tendency found in mankind. Satan's vast empire of demons is enormous, structured, powerful, and super intelligent. It would behoove us to remember that the world is not ruled by men. It is ruled by powerful, evil spirits. When a person indulges in sinful behavior, he opens the door for the enemy's involvement in that area of his life. Once access has been permitted, that demon will do his utmost to take that person back to that activity time and again. Every new indulgence strengthens the stronghold of that sin in his soul. The more involvement, the more his lust for it grows. Pretty soon, whether he's an unbeliever or a Christian, he becomes addicted to that behavior. In biblical language, an obsession with some activity or possession or relationship or anything this temporal earth provides is called idolatry. An idol has been set up in the person's heart through his own free will. It's typically been formed over a long period of time and it's not easily gotten rid of. In spite of the fact that they promise satisfaction that they're incapable of providing, they become so powerful within a person that he finds himself irresistibly returning to it time and time again. Idolatry is only one weapon the enemy has in his arsenal. There are others. These demon spirits can plant their thoughts into our minds. In other words, they can affect our thinking, our attitudes, our imaginations, and even our memories. They can build up and exaggerate feelings of discouragement, rejection, lust, jealousy, suspicion, and a host of other debilitating feelings we already struggle with. They can create atmospheres of despair, perversion, deception, or greed that can seem overwhelming. There's no shortage of ways they can interact with the soul of a human being. All of this can make one feel as though there's no way to escape their clutches, no way to make it through this life without being hopelessly polluted or even ruined by them. But we must also remember that John said that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. 
Even if the enemy has been able to erect elaborate machinations or strongholds in a person's soul, the Lord has the wherewithal to tear it all down and cleanse the person of its evil effects. Another passage that can cause alarm is Ephesians 6, where Paul laid out Satan's worldwide evil empire. When one considers the evil rulers of the unseen world, those mighty satanic beings and great evil princes of darkness who rule this world, and the huge numbers of wicked spirits in the spirit world, as the Living Bible describes it, or the unseen power that controls this dark world and the spiritual agents from the very headquarters of evil, as Phillips articulates it, or the supernatural powers and demon princes that slither in the darkness of this world and the wicked spiritual armies that lurk about in heavenly places, as the voice has it. One can again feel helpless in the face of such a massive spiritual army. Yet here again, we have been provided with a way to defeat this mighty horde. The apostle presented it through the metaphor of Roman armor, which he used to describe the lifestyle of the victorious believer who lives above the easy access of demons and their schemes. He tells us that the victorious believer can stand firm against this wicked force because he's regularly in the word of God, because he has the shield of faith, because he strives to live a righteous life, and because he prays at all times in the Spirit. So in Ephesians 6, Paul lays out the realities we face in this world of devils. Notice that he isn't calling believers to enter spiritual warfare. He simply announces it as a fact. It's an ongoing battle that is part of the Christian life, whether we like it or not. In that struggle, we are told that we must stand our ground, not flinching in the face of evil. As we stand firm, we will find that he who is within us is greater than he who is in the world. And so it is that with that understanding, we can now proceed into the realm of the human soul and examine what we can do to better protect ourselves from the Babylonian mindset that seeks to dominate our lives. Where to begin? In the great realm of desire. There was one thing in Pastor Steve's talk that really jumped out to me because I saw that it represented a very powerful strategy of the enemy in our day and I thought that it merited a fuller discussion. So I brought Pastor Ed Book into the studio and we will play that interview for you now. Okay, so Pastor Ed, this is the second segment in a show where we are looking at how the enemy has infiltrated this world and how he is working to create a global mindset where he is fully in control of people's hearts and minds. And the thing I wanted to key in on in this interview was part of how he does that. This is something that we will develop over the next today and then also in um, future shows. But Pastor Steve said something really interesting in, in the first part. He said, Many people spend their whole lives pursuing what brings them the most pleasure, imagining they are in full control of their lives, little realizing that they are being led by the hand to their destruction by the spirit of Babylon. And the reason that I wanted to key in on that, that quote is because if there is anything that defines American culture, it is the pursuit of pleasure. Mm -hmm. You could say the pursuit of happiness, I think, but that's definitely morphed into the pursuit of pleasure. Absolutely. Um, and so Pastor Steve is saying that if we do that, we can think that we're in full control because we're pursuing what pleases us, 
but really we are being controlled by the spirit of the world and we're being led to destruction. So could you maybe give some scriptural support for that idea? Unfortunately, Nate, I think most of us find out the truth of what Pastor Steve is saying here the hard way. <laughs> like, uh-huh. uh, you know, one uh-huh. of the things we always have to keep in mind about lust is that it is never satisfied. So, you know, all of us have something that we're allured by, attracted to in the pleasure realm. That's different for each one. We all have our little individual preferences and tastes, but there's something that we're pulled toward. And most of us eventually find a way to experience it. You know, They're not all necessarily even sinful, but many of them can really delve into sin very quickly for us. But the thing is, over time, the pleasure fades. The pleasure we're getting out of that experience fades. Uh, you know, What once brought us this real thrill of pleasure, it now leaves us dissatisfied, uh, kind of craving for more, and really, I think, at a place where we internally feel like we actually have a need now. We need this thing even. And so sometimes at that point, we'll go after a more powerful version of the thing that we've been pursuing, or maybe we'll seek out another form of pleasure altogether that is more powerful to us. But regardless, we're following our desire for pleasure, and that self-centered pursuit of pleasure is leading us down a path. Mm. And as Pastor Steve also, I think, pointed out in his talk, I, I think he quoted First John 5, uh, 19, where it says the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one, mm-hmm. or as the NIV puts it, under control of the evil one. So when we're naively you know, pursuing that uh, worldly pleasure, we're actually immersing ourselves in that domain where evil prevails now. And in that domain, our control really is nothing more than an illusion. It's exactly what Paul was talking about in Romans uh, 6, where he says that, you know, we're slaves to the one we present ourselves to, you know, whether that's sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. We're all enslaved. We have a choice to make, but we'll be a slave to one or the other. Mm. And so whether we realize it or not, our pursuit of pleasure is incredible increasingly enslaving us to sin and handing control over to the evil one in our life. And, you know, we end up, many of us anyway, myself included, end up enslaved to various forms of pleasure, uh, sexual pleasure, of course, being predominant in our culture and in our ministry here. But here's the really, to me, sad part of, of this, Nate, is we're compelled to go after this thing that no longer gives us even the experience of pleasure that it once did. You know, we don't even find the pleasure anymore, but we still mm-hmm. keep going after this thing. And right there, that is the place of misery and destruction that the evil one had in mind from the beginning. Mm. Yeah, the thing that you said or inferred, I think, is that as humans, we're really never in control. The only control we have is who to give control to. Right. <laughs> do we give it to Satan or do we give it to God? Exactly. Do and we give it to righteousness or give it to sin? Yeah. And that's the only choice really we have. We don't have the choice of remaining in control mm-hmm. of our own destination. We don't have the, the option of remaining in control of how our lives will turn out. You know, I, I just, I know that it's, it's very clear to me where we can be very self-deceived. Mm-hmm. We say, I'm going to choose A, and I'm going to control the outcome. Yes. But that's not an option. Not really. It's, Once you make the path, the choice of which path, then the destination is settled for you. Yeah, yeah. And um, let's bring in a scripture here, Proverbs 28, 26. The first part of that says that whoever trusts his own heart is a fool. Hmm. How do you see a scripture like that playing into this conversation? 
Yeah, well, you know, from a biblical perspective, the heart there that it's talking about is the seat of our desires. Uh, and of course, I think most of us would understand that we're born with a sin nature, which means all of those innate desires have been corrupted in some measure. So, you know, actually, like I find myself literally kind of cringing when you hear people say things like, well, just follow your heart. Yeah. You know? Or they'll yeah. even sometimes say, uh, just trust your heart, like literally the exact opposite of what that proverb says. <laughs> They'll tell people to do that. And of course, you have a lot of movies, especially even Christian movies that seem to really push this notion of following our hearts. But you know, when it comes to what the scriptures have to say about the heart, it's, it's uh, you know, a scary reality in the sense like the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You know, we bandy that verse about pretty loosely sometimes, but if you really consider what it's saying, you know, would I follow my heart? Would I follow, willingly follow something that is deceitful above all things? Everything else is less deceitful than my own heart, and, and I'm desperately wicked. Is that the path I'm going to, you know, choose. And Jesus himself said in Mark 7, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, uh, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, you know, that whole list of stuff comes out of someone's heart. So I think it's very clear to me in scripture that the heart is uh, the seat of our corruption. It's uh, full of corrupt desires and it's easily swayed by untrustworthy emotions as well. Mm. So it's really, you know, got a, a dual thing going on there against following our hearts. Uh, and I think you could even say, Nate, that every sin a person ever commits started in their heart. So if we follow our hearts, we're just literally playing right into Satan's hands. We're doing exactly what he wants us to do, and we're a fool, like that proverb said, because we have been warned over and over in Scripture not to do that. Mm. Yeah, and I think that if anybody would just maybe take an honest look and survey their past— we all just so naturally trust mm. our hearts. Yeah. Like we don't have to be told to trust our hearts, really. We don't have to be encouraged to do it. We just do it. Yeah. Um, we want to be deceived, I think, is part of what's going on there because we really just want what we want. And if I have to deceive myself in order to feel free to pursue it, mm -hmm. that's, that's part of what we're willing to do. Mm -hmm. So then the other half of that verse mm -hmm. says, he who walks in wisdom will be delivered, which we obviously really need because, like you said, it's in so many situations in our lives, the only thing that really seems to get through to us is just like the pain of our horrible decisions. And who really wants to spend the rest of their lives only learning from complete disaster and failure? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so we need to grow in wisdom. Mm -hmm. What is What is wisdom? Yeah, well, you know, I saw you were going to ask me that question, so I took the liberty of just looking it up on the dictionary app on my phone. And, you know, one of the definitions that it gave me was uh, scholarly knowledge or learning. And that's what we might call actually human wisdom. Uh -huh. you know? And the Bible does use the word wisdom that way a couple times. For example, in Acts uh, 7.22, it says Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. So, you know, that kind of human wisdom is occasionally being referenced, but it's usually pretty clear by the context that it's, you know, I, I think of it as wisdom with a small w, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, versus the godly attribute of wisdom that you might think of as wisdom wisdom with a capital W sort of thing. And so one of the other definitions uh, really gets more at the godly attribute of wisdom, and it says it's knowledge of what is true or right 
coupled with the just judgment as to action. Now, that's a a mouthful, but in other words, it's knowing what's true and right and then acting in harmony with that. That's really what they're saying there. And I think that's a lot closer to what the Bible has in mind when it speaks of wisdom. And I'll throw this in. You know, years ago, I ran across uh, another uh, definition of wisdom from a, a ministry website, and I jotted it down, and it's seeing and responding to life's situations from God's frame of reference. And I think that's a pretty practical and helpful definition of wisdom. Uh-huh. Yeah, that is definitely what we need because I think it's that, what you said, it's it's the knowledge of what is right and true coupled with the just judgment about the action, which, mm-hmm. man, sometimes sometimes we don't see the situation at all for what it is. Sometimes we do see the situation for what it is, but we don't act in a way that is going to get us through. You know, it's like the verse says, the simple see danger ahead and Mm. go on and Mm. suffer for it. We do that a lot. You know, our desires are just really deceptive. They're really powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, another verse that I thought about, it just shows us our total need Mm. of the Lord, even in this whole realm of learning how to walk in wisdom, is that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Yeah. Um, Why? Why is that? (laughs) Well, you know, that's interesting because I think probably, you know, most Christians can probably quote that uh, part of that verse anyway there. It's right in Proverbs 1, the, the, the first proverb really that's given after some introductory verses is fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And you know, but the thing is, I find that most people don't have much of an understanding of what fear of the Lord really is, yeah. and or even an awareness, a sense of our true need uh-huh. for fearing the Lord. Then, but the way I see it, Nate, a healthy fear of the Lord is rooted in His role as judge. And the Bible, of course, teaches us that everyone is going to be judged one day. You know, it's right there in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for example. It says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, whether, uh, I'm sorry, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So, you know, we're all going to appear before that judgment seat. And Jesus told us that we shouldn't fear those who can only kill the body, (laughs) but can't do anything anything to our soul, he says, rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell, of course, referring to God. (laughs) We should fear the Lord. So wisdom is simply then living in the reality that my eternity is much more important than my present that I'm going to be judged and and there's going to be an eternity that follows that judgment that is either going to be very good or very bad for me. And so when I live with that kind of perspective ever in front of me, you know, I'm living by wisdom. So denying myself worldly pleasures right now and taking every thought captive now, storing up my treasure in heaven instead of on the earth and focusing on my spiritual growth and developing the mind of Christ and prioritizing my relationship with my heavenly father, you know, those are all the things that result when someone's living according to wisdom in their life. And if I live today with the intent of being in the right place spiritually, when I get to that place of judgment uh, before Christ, then I've allowed my healthy fear of the Lord to steer me down the right path Mm -hmm. and that path of wisdom. And I won't then be living in sin with that fear of being punished, but I'll be living in obedience with the expectation, actually, of receiving the reward that comes for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that really is... That's really good because it's not the unhealthy fear of the Lord, which is just constantly seeing him as a hard, exacting taskmaster who's just waiting to punish me. It's not that, but it's also not the kind of sappy notion that he's just going to cover everything with grace. There's not going to be any kind of just reckoning for what we've done. Yeah, those neither of those are wisdom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So then wisdom is going to deliver us from these deceptive desires. How? 
Well, uh, you alluded to this earlier, actually, I think a little bit. Uh, but, you know, if we go back to our understanding of wisdom, seeing things from God's frame of reference and understanding what's true and right according to God's declarations of what's true and right. Uh, so it's not just the knowledge that I have. It, wisdom exceeds that knowledge because it includes the notion of acting in harmony with that knowledge. So, for example, coming to Pure Life Ministries when I was, you know, back when I was immersed in, in sexual sin before I got here, I had the knowledge that what I was doing was wrong. I already understood that perfectly well at some level, but I was not acting in harmony with that knowledge at all. Uh, I went against that knowledge. I completely disregarded it to pursue the pleasure that I had a desire for. Uh, but wisdom steps in and demands, in a sense, that I act in harmony with what I know to be true and right. You know, mm. And so instead of living by my corrupt feelings and desires, I'm being led by the Holy Spirit to live according to God's words. And God's word is you know, really just an expression, I think, Nate, of God's holy desires. It's what he wants for us. And his desires aren't corrupt. His desires aren't tainted by the world or the devil, you know, by any means. Uh, so when I live by God's desires instead of my own, I'm led into purity and holiness. And, and in time, I actually will experience new desires starting to come up and, and you know, spring up within me. And all those old corrupt ones start to get weaker and weaker, and the new ones grow and grow and mm. lead me where I need to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, it seems like a huge part of the enemy's plan or scheme is to entice us to continue to follow the corrupt desires because that really extinguishes the holy desires. Right. Yes, you know. it does. They they will compete with each other if we let if we engage with the enemy like that. Mm-hmm. So whatever we are feeding is really going to be growing and putting to death the other kind. So either evil putting to death the good or good putting to death the evil. That's right. And it can be a fierce, fierce battle, mm -hmm. especially early on. I think, as you're maybe coming out of some life-dominating sin or whatever. It can just be really hard. Mm -hmm. can, you, can you talk about maybe a couple um, places in your life where you were really vulnerable as a young Christian and how the Lord gave you the wisdom to see through the deception and to keep following on the, on the path of wisdom? Yeah, I can try and do that. Um, you know, I recall early on, I really didn't have a very good understanding of what victory was even going to look like okay. for me. So, uh, you know, I thought that if I went through the residential program at Pure Life Ministries, that I would somehow get to this place where all these sensual lusts wouldn't even tempt me anymore. You know, all these hidden homosexual desires would go away somehow. And and so, you know, few, several months in or a number of months in, you know, that's not really happening. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm not giving in to them. I'm not living by them, but they're still there mm -hmm. in many respects. And, you know, I'm getting discouraged, a little depressed, uh, like, you know, confused. What am I doing wrong? You know, lots of openings there for the enemy to just kind of torment me and, and have his way with me a little bit. And then, you know, wisdom kind of showed up on the scene. It was a letter that I got from somebody. I had written a letter too that, that did this, but, you know, helped me realize, and the Lord gave me some scriptures to show me that even Jesus faced temptation. You know, he was tempted in all points like we are. Like, he never escaped that. He never got to some spiritual high place where temptation couldn't touch him or reach him. And and the Lord just made that clear to me that, and neither will I. You know, if Jesus didn't get there, I'm certainly not going to mm. get there, you know. So I had a wrong understanding of what victory was really going to be until the wisdom to understand that how this was really going to work. So, and of course, that didn't really 
completely solve my problem because it kind of led to another <laughs> place where I needed wisdom uh, because, you know, okay, if temptation is never going to leave me, now I'm like, oh, man, that means I'm going to have to fight like forever, <laughs> you know, like all my whole life. I'm going to have to fight temptations. And, mm. you, you know, I don't consider myself really a fighter. I'm, I'm just not generally wired or natured that way outwardly or inwardly. Uh, and so if temptation, though, is going to be this recurring issue, I'm going to have to somehow become more of a fighter. And so it was really helpful to me one day when I heard someone talk about that fighting. And he said, look, you're fighting either way. Either you're fighting against God, going after your sin and trying to pursue those sorts of things, but you're, you're going against God when you do that and you're having to fight him and his will and his plan and his desires for your life, or else you're on God's side and you're fighting with him to overcome the temptations and, and all the evil. And so I realized, you know, it's true. I'm fighting either way, whether I want to or not, I've got to fight. So, mm -hmm. so and of course, and, uh, you know, you eventually, I think, discover that fighting with God is a whole lot better <laughs> than fighting against God, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and there were just, you know, dozens of lies that, you know, mm -hmm. uh, if we had more time, I guess I could talk about some of them. But um, one of them that, that jumped out to me here recently was I could choose sin. You know, that was the lie that I could choose sin and not really experience all the negative uh, consequences, the mm -hmm. death, the misery, you know, because let's face it, in most cases, those things don't follow very closely on the heels of our sin. We do... Many times we can do our sin and feel like we got away with it, even like that, you know, nothing bad happened as a mm. result, you know. And um, I was kind of buying into that lie at times, and uh, because the consequences didn't come immediately, then I can have my pleasure and, and everything will still be fine. But in reality, you know, we're storing up consequences when we do that. And when I was a student in the program, you know, uh, I remember just being so tired, like the, the rigors of the program, the demands of the program, getting up, going to work, coming home, doing homework, going to chapel, oh, yeah. going to counseling. You know, there's this, <laughs> this very uh, rigid schedule that you kind of, you know, are just compels you to get up early and stay up late doing some homework and and do it all over again tomorrow <laughs> sort of thing, <laughs> yeah. you know. Uh, and so I would wake up in the morning, you know, feeling already exhausted <laughs> and I'm not even out of bed yet. And, and uh, you know, but I would I learned to kind of talk to myself in that position like and remind myself – like literally I would say things like, you wanted your sin. This is the result of your sin. This, what you're experiencing right now, this, this extreme fatigue, this exhaustion, but you still got to get up and go to work anyway. This is what you were bargaining for back when you were pursuing your pleasure, when you just had to have your sin. <laughs> this is what it was really costing you and you just didn't see it or realize it at mm. the time. You know, and um, – and I've tried to carry that lesson with me because it really helps me frequently to say no to other opportunities for sin. You know, do I really want this because later there's going to be a, a price tag attached to it. There's going to be some misery. There's going to be some, some real uh, painful consequences. And so for me, Nate, wisdom is the thing that helps me see the long-term consequences of my present decisions. Mm. And saying no to sin is just a, a whole lot easier when you're in that kind of mindset that I'm, I'm looking and marrying the consequences to the behavior, even if they're years apart. Hmm. As we're talking, I'm realizing that we could talk for hours <laughs> yeah. about this. <laughs> there's mm -hmm. a lot to say. Uh, I think there's a lot to say about the fruit of wisdom. I think there's a lot to say about the peace that comes from wisdom. Yes. I think there's a lot to say about the pursuit of wisdom. Mm -hmm. You know, at, at mm -hmm. the beginning of Proverbs 1, if you cry with all of your heart, if you seek for it like silver, if you pursue it like hidden treasure, you know, there's just, mm -hmm. yeah. um, there's a lot to say about wisdom, but hopefully this is giving people at least a, a taste of the value of it and helping people to realize that it's worth pursuing. Yeah, it's a far better path <laughs> than yeah. the other path that is being offered. If you've been a true believer for any length of time, you know that when you surrendered to Christ, 
your battles did not end. In fact, there were battles that you had never fought until you came to Christ in a real way. And the intensity of the battle for young Christians can be really confusing and it can be discouraging. A few of our staff members got together to talk about the reality of the battle that they faced as new believers and what helped them fight effectively. Due to time constraints, we're only able to include a portion of this discussion. The answer is yes. I was not expecting um, what I was going to face after I came to the Lord. And I, part of it, I think, was because I, I didn't know anything about or understand anything about spiritual warfare before I got here because mm-hmm. I didn't ever fight <laughs> didn't my sin. It. <laughs> like yeah. it never happened. So when then when you cross, cross that line, there's part of me, I think, that thought, well, then, okay, we're good. It's all over now. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, praise the Lord, I got converted. Now everything's everything's done. I'm with the Lord. He's on my side. He's fighting for me. Battles, you know, they're done. He's finished it. And it was just like, what is this? What is all of this? What are What is this um, anger that's just... Before, all I saw was lust. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, well, I have to fight my sexual sin. I have to fight looking at girls. I have to fight giving over to self-gratification and mm-hmm. stuff. But now it's just like... Anger. I see anger. I mm-hmm. see selfishness. I see bitterness. I see like everything started to open up. It's kind of like we just thought the battles before were just lustful things, mm-hmm. not knowing at all. Oh, there's pride. <laughs> exactly. Oh, there's yeah. a plethora of pride. Yeah. There's selfishness. Yeah. Um, the big one also that probably most of us don't even think about is love of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, all that. And so previously, it's like, oh, okay, I just need to, you know, turn my eyes away from these obvious things that are temptation. But now it's like, oh, wait, there's things in my heart that are drawing me away from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that, that I think shocked me more. It was like, oh, like I, I, it's not just sexual. Like there's a lot more things I have to fight. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, okay, these are getting me, getting in the way of me and the Lord. So dealing with them is also me being able to come deeper with him. Yeah. yeah. And Part of, part of it was probably, just bringing it back to the whole topic that we're talking about, is being blinded by the world to mm-hmm. those things. Yeah. You know, there's certain things that are taboo. Yeah. But there's certain things that are okay. Yeah. Like before, I didn't fight against anger. Mm-hmm. I didn't fight against bitterness. I didn't fight against unforgiveness or selfish ambition. I did not fight yeah. against that mm, one bit. Not at all. And so, <laughs> you know, I would fight against lust mm-hmm. when it was bothersome to other people, but then leave me alone in the middle of the night and I'm not going to fight against that. Yeah. But were there any things for you, Kyle, that just were like, it was something that you you had to learn how to fight or you had to start fighting that you were not expecting or you were not you didn't fight before you came you kind of touched on it when you mentioned like how jesus says in the sermon on the mount if you look at a woman with lust if you call your brother a fool so like i had an understanding before the program of like selfishness and just like being consumed with me and getting what i wanted all Mm -hmm. the time that's what i understood selfishness was then i get here you know in the atmosphere starting to get cleaned out going to services reading the word starting to pray like starting to engage with god and then I start to see just how close that line is, like what selfishness really is, mm-hmm. like a heart level, like outwardly, it'd be like, yeah, sure, like let's go, you know, to Arby's. And inwardly, I'm like, I want to go to McDonald's. I'm murmuring in my heart, that's selfish. Yeah. And it's and all of a sudden, I was just like, yeah, no, I'm a selfless person. And then you start to see that. I'm like, oh, that the line's back here. <laughs> Shoot. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So now, all right, like I'm not. Nope. Lord, I said it's okay, and it, and it's okay inwardly. Help it be okay, Lord. I need a lot of grace, but that's like that, like fighting for those those lines that are closer than we thought. Mm-hmm. You know, that's because like also like before, I was a very angry person, and I was just like, yeah, okay, just don't be outwardly angry. So like smiling, yeah, okay, inside yeah. you're a fool, you're dumb, I hate you, blah yep, blah blah. Yep. No, dude, you got to cut that out too. Like okay, <laughs> yeah, whoa, <laughs> right, yeah. and it's just like man, those lines are really tight. Like there's, it's a really, really tight box. So that's, I mean, that was quite the shock, but it's also been a big blessing to like actually fight that. 
Because in fighting for that line to be closer, especially in selfishness, we're fighting at the same time to be merciful, to actually care for someone else's needs. Because mm. I only have so much energy. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to give it to me, even internally, I'm not giving it to you and I'm not giving it to you. But I've, if I give that to you, all right, now I'm being merciful. I'm spending my resources and energy over here. Mm. And all of a sudden, like, yeah, like I didn't spend it on me, but Lord knows, yeah. you know, Matthew 6, he'll take care. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that I started realizing was kind of more of the hardest battle for me was surrendering my will, <laughs> my decision making, and then seeing how deep that was rooted in my heart. Kind of like what you were saying, you know, oh, I'm just going to go do this and do that and do that. And then, and never really like taking it to the Lord in prayer. Mm. And the way the Lord worked that out though, was me choosing to obey his word, uh, to choose other people over myself, to take my life decisions to my spiritual authorities and actually like listen to them and like put it into practice versus, you know, you hear your pastor tell you something from the stage or whatever, and you don't really actually ever let that influence like how you live your life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, I actually started to do that. And I started to see though, like the Lord was faithful. You know, it really was a test of like, will I trust him or not? I mean, even as both of you were talking, it kind of leads into the next topic, which is the difference in before and now how we fight. Mm -hmm. Like there's a difference. There's not. Because before, I mean... I think me and Kyle have got the point across that we did not fight before we got here. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't really know anything about fighting spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a difference now, and there is a fight. But I think the the point we want to talk about is what makes the difference in how we fight now than how we fought before. Um, mm-hmm. And I know for me personally, it's, it's repentance. Mm. Because, you know, I was thinking about it this morning— Repentance is a gift from God. And I think um, I think Patrick Hudson a couple of weeks ago on a Thursday night mentioned to the guys, like, before he came to pure life, God was not on his side. Mm. And so to receive the gift of repentance wasn't even possible. Mm-hmm. And that was me. Like, I was not on God's side. God was not on my side. Yeah. You know, I wasn't even considering him in any of my choices, any of my decisions whatsoever. But mm-hmm. now that I have that opportunity and he's given me that gift of repentance, it allows me to, like we learn in the program, the turn from sin, to act literally turn from sin and turn to God. Mm-hmm. And, it cha- and it changes my heart. I can actually have a change of heart there when before, if I ever fought, I, you know, <laughs> I tried to make that turn, but it, I never turned. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it looked more subtle. Um, like Pastor Steve kind of talks about idolatry in his monologue. And for me, uh, before the program, I had a lot of idols, but you wouldn't think they were idols. Like mm-hmm. it was like ministry, mm-hmm. um, a relationship I, uh, I was in, my reputation, my ministry title. And I was fighting before. To actually like preserve those, <laughs> preserve those idols. Mm-hmm. I was, uh, you know, I didn't want to be in sexual sin because I knew if I stay in sexual sin, I'm gonna get fired. <laughs> yeah. My ex, my ex girlfriend or my girlfriend at the time won't want to date me. Uh, I definitely, you know, can't stay as a youth pastor there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't realize though that those idols were the very thing that were keeping me in my sexual sin. Mm. You know, ro- like Romans six talks about you're a slave to whatever you obey. Yeah. So because these things were my idols, they they had my obedience. And kind of like what you said, uh, Josh, about repentance. Now, when the Lord exposed those idols, I was actually trying to go against them versus before I was trying to preserve them. <laughs> and I really, because I saw my idols were getting in the way of my worship for Jesus. Um, and I saw as I was repenting, and turning back to the Lord and trying to expose these heart issues, letting these heart issues be exposed, he was producing a change more and more. And, you know, and as that was happening, the Lord was giving me more of himself. And I remember just like experiencing that sweetness of his presence mm-hmm. and yeah. starting to desire that and desire that more and more and more. And then my fight started to become more about 
fighting because I didn't want to miss out on having more of him. Mm. I didn't want there to be anything that got in the way of that. And I think that's kind of like really the fear of the Lord, you yeah. know, yeah. Uh, the fear of being away from him. And so, yeah, that was kind of like the thing that changed, which I guess, like you said, repentance, godly <laughs> sorrow. <laughs> yeah. 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 And like Josh, you alluded at, I didn't fight before coming to the program, but even as you and Trey were talking, I was just reminded of my time in the program. So like I came here, I lost everything. And there was part of me that was like, all right, so like, what's the point of fighting? Like, mm -hmm. what am I going to fight for? I don't have anything. Like I, I didn't even have a car when I got here. So like, why fight? So <laughs> I'm going through the program and my counselor's just like, you got to fight. You got to fight. You got to fight. And, you know, back in my head, like, okay, cool, dude. I hear you, blah, blah. But, you know, then I started to fight. And then I started putting way too much effort into it. Like I swung the other way. Like I'm just like slaving. I'm like become a slave to the law now. Mm. Like Romans and Galatians talk about like I'm mm. trying to keep everything. I'm just trying and trying and trying and trying. And then somewhere in phase two, Pastor Ed was doing accountability and he went through Romans six and he was like, do you notice a key word here? And we're all just like, okay, you know, no. And he was like, stand. You're not. Like, you're not out there swashbuckling and, you know, jousting with demons. You are equipped with God, and you are standing. Mm. Yeah, you may be bleeding. You may have lost an arm. maybe blind. You may have a peg leg. Mm -hmm. But are you standing in the Lord? Mm. And there's the victory. And so I was just, and I, that was like part of some real big breakthroughs in my time here. Yeah. Or just with the Lord, period. I was like, okay, Lord. I repented of not fighting. Now I'm going to repent of overfighting, and I'm just going to stand. And then Trey, like you're talking about, I started to, started to get sights of him, and like just you know, Psalm 34, taste and see that he's good. I started to see that goodness, mm -hmm. and now I'm standing in the Lord, and I see his goodness, and I'm like, I want to, I want to get that. So I started to kind of reach out and I started to fight for a sight of him, mm -hmm. while standing against my enemies, not overengaging with them, not giving them more due than they're worth. Yeah. You know, they are vicious and they're nasty and we need to be aware, but just stand against them and fight towards the Lord. Like, just like you're saying, Trey, that's, like, that's it, man. All right, that's it for our show this week. Thanks for joining us. And again, we pray that you're being helped by this series. We pray that more than ever, you're seeing the spirit of the world for what it is and that the spirit of the Lord is working deep within your heart to create a pure devotion to Jesus Christ. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.